Hey everyone, this is Connie Morgan coming at you with another episode of the Free Black Thought Podcast. This episode is really special to me for a couple of reasons. One, the Black maternal health crisis is something that must be discussed, dissected, and addressed. Today's guest, Rashad Tahani Lawler, is one of the few practicing Black home birth midwives in America and is the owner of the only Black midwife-owned and operated birth center, or cottage, in the state of Virginia. Rashad is a certified professional midwife, licensed midwife, and a registered and certified Sangoma. She is a fourth-generation midwife, farmer, beekeeper, and occasional textile artist. She has 20 years of experience supporting over 1,600 home birth families. Rashaw has committed herself to maintaining the traditional midwifery care of the black midwives she descends from. I must tell you that anecdotally, when I was pregnant the first time and telling my friends and family that I was planning an out-of-hospital natural birth, I got more head tilts from black friends and family and women of color in general, the sort of, no, 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 girl, give me that epidural type of comments. More of that than I did from, from white women. Y'all, this is such a huge shift from not that long ago, and I think it is literally killing us as Black women. Black midwifery, in my opinion, is part of the solution to the Black maternal health crisis. We must go back to our birthing roots. The second reason I love this episode is because Rasha and I absolutely disagree on some things, and we probably disagree on a lot. But you know where we do align? On acknowledging the pitfalls of regulation, recognizing the immorality of taxation, promoting the importance of being self-reliant, a general distrust of government, championing the rights of women to choose their own birth path, and a general passion for uplifting the humanity of everyone we interact with. We can't be afraid to build a coalition with folks just because they don't agree with us on everything, y'all. I would joyfully walk hand in hand with Rashaw as we fight for women's freedom and empowerment in birth. Because you already know what I'm about to say. There is no such thing as a Black perspective, just Black people with perspectives. Tahani, thank you so much for coming on the Free Black Thought Podcast today to discuss all things midwifery, uh, postpartum care, and what that looks like um, through a Black lens. Uh, and we're going to get into lots of great stuff. I just can't wait for you to share all this information. I'm going to learn a lot, even though I consider myself sort of a, you know, a warrior for the natural birth, the midwife life. I have three kids myself, but I know I'm going to learn a ton. So I'm just so th- so grateful that you're coming on today. But first, let's paint a picture for our audience. Where were you raised? How did you grow up? How did you land in this world of midwifery and taking care of taking care of babies? Well, thank you so much for having me, Connie. That is a great starting point. I am one of four children. Uh, my mother was a widow at 26. Mm-hmm. My father died in a car oh, accident. So and um, it's okay. She was 26 with four children under six. <gasps> God bless her. So... Yes. And so we started out in Los Angeles and then with his passing, she just wanted to get away from where we lived, where he lived, where they had grown up together, which was South LA. So she moved us to uh, Santa Barbara, which sounds very luxurious and very like, ooh, so fancy. But, you know, it was like the broke folks part of Santa Barbara. So, you know, it was very much like uh, maybe like Long Beach, Santa Monica vibes, Mm -hmm. but, you know, in Santa Barbara. And we were there for, you know, my early years as a young person. But every summer was grandma's house in L.A., South L.A. specifically. She was a labor and delivery nurse, but before that was a midwife. And her grandmother uh, was a midwife 
for the whole family. So she, my grandmother is one of 11. Her grandmother caught all of them at home on the farm in Elmo, Texas. And for people who may not know, like when, she, when you say you caught, like delivered, that's what midwives say, oh, yes. catching babies. Delivered. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mid- midwives say catching babies. We say we don't deliver babies. People deliver pizzas, not babies, mm-hmm. you know. So midwives say, midwives say catching because we catch. And um, my grandmother was one of 11 who was born at home with her grandmother. And then when she got to a certain age, she would help her grandmother at births. And after she had graduated college, HBCU, um, her and my grandfather migrated west with all the other black folks that were leaving the South. And so my parents met across the street from each other in South L.A., So for my mom, it was really painful to stay there after he died, but she wanted us to stay connected to our heritage, our roots, our, our, our Southern, our Southern background, but also very much our LA culture. Mm -hmm. And so every summer we went back, I would go with my grandmother to the hospital sometimes and be on the unit with her. And she was the charge nurse. So she was in charge of everybody. And by the time I was going with her, she had been a nurse for probably 20 years already. And during that time, she had been um, a black nurse on a segregated unit. She had been on a unit where there was no um, black doctors. And so they had to just wait for black doctors to come up when the births were happening. And so she caught a lot of babies and um, self-identifies as, yes, a, a nurse, but also identifies as a midwife because of her heritage. And me seeing that and hearing her stories about the babies and the catching of the babies it just was a part of my normal stream of thought. Like people have babies with the midwives that when people have the baby with the doctor, it's just like, you know, the doctor walks in, catches the baby, hands the baby to the nurses and then walks out. Whereas my experiences with my, with my grandmother and hearing her stories, it was her catching the babies because there wasn't a doctor available or her training doctors, the midwifery model, how to be more hands-off and, not be so um, interventive in the birthing process because she had witnessed out of hospital birth with her grandmother. And then her niece, her sister's daughter was my aunt on Althea, I guess technically a cousin, but I always called her my aunt on Althea. And she was Los Angeles's, one of Los Angeles's first black nurse midwives that had autonomy at a hospital, meaning she could do home births and she also could walk her clients into the hospital and support them in their birthing in the hospital. And so growing up in the summers, I'm hearing these stories, I'm hearing about the births that they're going to. um, And it just normalized birth for me. My mother, she wanted to have all of us at home and I was the first grandchild and my grandmother wanted to be the midwife at that birth. She wanted to be like, oh no, you're gonna come to my hospital and I'm gonna catch that baby, that's my grandbaby. And what's hilarious is my mom was so terrified of the hospital, she waited to the last minute to go in. And so I, she got there and they told her, Oh, you're not even really dilated. Like you're not about to have a baby anytime soon. But what they didn't know is my mom had been at home laboring like 24 hours and just trying to not go in until the last minute. She wanted to like walk in pushing and they were like, Oh yeah, you're not about to have a baby anytime soon. And she said, as soon as the doctor left the room, she looked at my dad and then was like, I have to push. And I came. And so I was born with just my dad and the nurse. And so she tells the story of how, you know, she really wanted a home birth with me and my grandmother wasn't having it. Her mother-in-law wasn't having it. And then how they ended up just kind of having this birth by themselves with a nurse. 
and how it was perfect. And she was like, this is great. And every child after that, she got closer and closer to her home birth. My brother after me was born in the car. <laughs> Classic. Her, her, her waiting again, not wanting to go to the hospital because of whatever was going on with them financially. So she was just like, you know, maybe he'll just come out at home. But that didn't happen. And my dad got her in the car and then she had him in the car. Um, my sister, she had on allegedly the Gertie and then my baby brother, she got to have in the birth center. And, you know, that was her fourth. And I don't know that she describes it as her hardest birth, but it was just, it was more of a process. And so having the opportunity to finally birth outside the hospital with him, I think there was some healing there from our other births and our experiences so growing up, I was hearing about birth. I was seeing people breastfeed. I saw my mom breastfeed. I saw my aunts breastfeed, my, my uncle's wives breastfeed. And it was just all normalized. I grew up thinking about midwives and midwifery the way people think about like the fireman and the police yeah. officer and the postman. Like it's just someone in the community that is a part of our community. And when I was 20, I think, Maybe 19. No, I was 20 because I was, I was already married. I was married very young. Um, my cousin invited me to her home birth. And I worked in uh, corporate America. I worked in healthcare. I worked for a very large healthcare company that had hospitals. Still very much thriving corporation. And um, she says, you know, if you want to see this baby get born, you should, you should come. And I was like, oh, say less. So I remember asking her, what do you wear to a home birth? And she <laughs> laughed at me because it was her third baby. So she was just like, girl, you are hilarious. And I was like, I don't know. And I ended up rolling up in jeans and a t-shirt or whatever. But when I got there, gumbo's on the stove, lasagna's in the oven, peach cobbler's in the oven, sweet potato pie's in the oven. Um, somebody was barbecuing in the backyard, aunties, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, great grandparents, and then these two little white midwives sitting on the floor in the corner. And my cousin was, is, is um, an artist, a musician, um, a recording artist, a singer, a producer, a songwriter, and apparently had a project that had to get done. And so in between contractions is in the booth laying tracks oh singing. Oh my gosh. And I'm just watching her. I'm watching her and I'm like, what is this? Like, this is birth? Like, what? And she's just making it look effortless. And I'm blown away. I'm like, if this is home birth, like everyone should be doing this. Like, why aren't we all doing mm -hmm. this? And, um, oh my goodness. Uh, she gets on the bed. She's like, it's time. It's time. And her oldest, who was, I think four at the time, maybe five, I think four, she gets on the bed and she touches the baby's head as it's crowning and turns around and looks at all of us. There's like 20 people in the room. And she goes, my sister is coming. And everyone just starts sobbing. <laughs> Everyone's sobbing. And the baby's born and dad and mom and sister catch. The midwives help a little. They do all the things that they do. And I'm like, got them pinned in a corner. I'm like, so where do I need to go to school? Who do I need to sign up with? Yeah. Who, do, who do I give my money to? Like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, let's do this. I did not realize I, I actually, I remember thinking at 20 years old, oh my gosh, I've wasted so much time. I should have been a midwife already. Mm -hmm. Like ridiculous, yeah. but so sweet. felt yeah. that felt so passionately. And you know, they were very like, oh, everyone feels that way. That's cute. You know, 
whatever, and just kind of shine me on. And I proceeded to stalk them, found out where their yeah. birth center was, and was calling like incessantly, like, I want to interview, I want to apprentice, like, tell me what I need to do, what are the next steps. And they were just kind of like, well, we're not really looking for an apprentice right now. And that was the response across most of Los Angeles at the time. Really? It was predominantly white. And and all of the white midwives were just like, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we already have a, a student. Like, there would be things that would let me know that they were looking for students. And then when I would show up with my resume and the way that I look, it would be like, oh, yeah, you know, we just we just got a student this morning. Oh, so mm. sorry. And I was just like, this is not a coincidence. I have met zero black midwives and or zero black home birth midwives. And all these white midwives are not interested in me being their student unless I'm willing to like basically be their like hype person. Like I remember one midwife specifically was like, well, do you think you could get me um, an interview at like the local radio station? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. What? Like, it was yeah. just really, it was very weird and strange. And so by some miraculous way, one of the families, by this time, let me just stop. By this time I had done a birth worker training, a quote unquote doula training. And I went to it and was immediately offended, completely just like, this is not okay. Because the first thing I noticed was everyone in the room was white. I was the only black person. Um, I had paid like, 550 bucks, I think for this, uh, certification training. And it was supposed to be a weekend long Friday to Sunday, like eight hour days. And the very first slide they put up is like this ancient Greek picture drawing of this person sitting at this pregnant birthing person's feet. And there's someone else there. I think it's supposed to be maybe the midwife because they looked older and they had their hands like close to where a baby might be coming out. And then someone over that birthing person, like holding them up. And they were like, doula, the Greek term meaning birth slave attendant. And I was like, ah, pause, excuse me. And I remember putting my hand up and be like, time out. Hey, time out. I'm sure y'all didn't, you know, check this before you decided to make this whole entire certification process and this whole name thing. But um, no one's calling me a slave. And they were just like, well, no, it means that you're just like dedicated to this birthing person. And I was like, no, slave is very clear. It is someone who is indentured to someone it is not by mm -hmm. choice and it's something they're being forced to do work that they're not being paid for and they're probably being treated badly and it's probably against their will i was like not you're not calling me that what's the correct were they using the in what is the correct definition of doula that is the definition of doula oh okay okay that is the that is the that is the greek origin word for doula doula means Greek in in Greek it means slave that is the origin root word of doula mm -hmm. and so I was like I want no parts of it not interested walked out of the training never went back but had gleaned enough that I was like I know how to help people in labor like I'm not a midwife but I know how to like support people and show up for people so I continued to do that on my own do my own reading I had their book list so I went through some of them the ones that didn't seem racist the ones that didn't seem really truly skewed towards wealthy white people went to my grandmother's house got into her midwifery books and was like oh yeah i got this so i start supporting families do you, do you think we should use a different like change use a different word for doula or what do you think of the solution what what term do you use instead or so so the majority of black and brown birth workers that are really firmly committed to 
returning to traditional ways of birth and midwifery and caring for pregnant people, they use the term birth worker. And they use the term birth worker the same way people use the term sex worker. You can be a sex worker and not actually even have sex with people, but the work that you do with people is around sex and sexuality. And so the same thing with birth worker. You can be a birth worker and not be someone that's giving birth. You don't have to have given birth, but you support people during the time of getting pregnant, being pregnant, birthing, and postpartum. It's like all of it. So the majority of black brown folks, they will use the term birth worker and they do so because they're, they're distancing themselves from this word that has now become the standard. And unfortunately, the word that, you know, is being linked to like Medi-Cal, Medicaid, and like government assistance and paying for your support and your birthing, they're using this word that means slave and birth workers are kind of pushing back and using the term birth worker. But because the word doula has been used for so long, most people, that's what they use. That's what they, yeah. they go yeah. to. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just use the term doula. I'm like, oh, the birth, birth support person. I'm already learning. Yeah. And, and most people don't know that. I, I'm, I have a good friend and she always says, you know, people just forget that like words have meanings and we use them all the time and don't necessarily remember what the actual original meaning of the word is. And she was like, do people ever Google the word when they're like, I think I want to become a doula. She's like, does no one Google it first? Like, what is the word doula mean? And I was like, I don't think so. I think people just are like, I want to do this thing. This is what everyone's calling it. This is what the certification, all the certification orgs call it. So I guess that's what I'm supposed to call it. They put it in their business names. They put it in their contracts. And now we have the government involved who's like, yeah, we'll pay. We want to support the black maternal health crisis. We will pay for you to have a doula at your birth. And so people now feel forced mm-hmm. to have to use the word in order to get paid to support families that can't afford to pay for it out of pocket. And so, you know, it's my own personal desire to like share with people that that meaning so that they know, because I think that if most black people knew that's what the term meant, they would be like, oh, no, thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I would rather not be called that of obviously the dictionary is constantly changing. So now when you Google, it's not the first thing that comes up. It's like the third. And I'm just like, yeah, but it still means what it means. And that sucks. So I was doing birth work, supporting families. Um, I had enrolled in nursing school. Like this is all within six months of this birth. I went to a training. I started supporting families and I enrolled in nursing school. I was like not playing. I was like, no, 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 no. Like for reals in my body, I was supposed to have been doing this for like five years already, which means I would have had to start at 15. Not realistic. But I I hit the ground running. I had clients within a month of saying like, hey, I'm out here. People need stuff. And it was through that process and then being in nursing school. And I did my first labor and delivery rotation. My first rotation was labor and delivery. Surprisingly, happy me. But it also affirmed I did not want to be a midwife in the hospital that I felt like myself, the kind of person I am, the kind of person that stands up in the middle of a conference and goes, hey, your conference is messed up. I'm that person. I was like, I'm probably not the person that should be in the hospital as a nurse midwife because my super black behind is going to be like, "Uh, why are you doing this to only the black people? Probably won't be able to keep a job. So, (laughs) I mean, I just saw time after time black black people being treated just exponentially worse than white people coming into the hospital. Do you have any examples like intervention that was unnecessary or what do you, what do you mean specifically? 
So as a nursing student on the labor and delivery unit, I was supposed to be observing only. At the time, I was a fluent Spanish speaker and they didn't, they only had one other nurse on the unit that spoke Spanish and she was night shift. This was a predominantly white neighborhood, a very wealthy hospital in LA. Um, a lot of black brown people didn't really birth there because it already had a reputation as not being particularly safe or nice. Um, but folks that had money, folks that were affluent, black brown folks, it was the hospital to go to in the neighborhood. So they would pull up. And my experience would be they would come in with or without support, either a partner, a husband, a girlfriend, someone, or a birth worker. And sometimes they would come completely by themselves. And the nursing staff would just kind of, you know, look them over and roll their eyes and suck their teeth. Like for every black person that came in, it didn't matter if they were dripping in, you know, furs and minks, or if they came in looking like, you know, maybe they were displaced, houseless. Every single one, they suck their teeth and roll their eyes. And I was just like, what's that about? Okay, I'll just keep that to myself. When they got put in their rooms, you know, it's like, oh, put on the gown. We're going to put the monitors on you. We're going to start your IV. And I just noticed with the black folks, it was never a conversation. It was a dictation. It was a, you need to get in the bed. You need to take off your clothes. You need to put on this gown. Whereas I saw when they would be taking care of white people, they'd be like, so honey, what do we have in this baby? And did you bring your own outfit? Or are you going to wear one of our gowns? Like there was banter, there was discussion, there was options, mm -hmm. there was the feeling of we're so excited for you. And with black people, it was like bossing around and I'm already irritated with you. I'm already like not interested in how this works out. Like just, you know, get, get, get yourself together. Like we're here, we're have, here to have a baby, you know, let's get done. And I, I just couldn't with that. And the straw that broke the camel's back was a family came in and I'm not for certain, I've told this story before and I tell people all the time, I'm not for certain what region they were from, but I think East African. Okay. I think. So they come in and they're covered in all these beautiful fabrics and it's all women, only women, brown. Um, everyone has very distinct markings on their fingers and on their hands. So they've been preparing for this birth. I, can, I know some things from like my time in the community and being in people's birthing spaces now and having been a birth worker for home births now and some hospital births. And so I knew that there was ceremony leading up to them coming in and they get into the birth room and the nurse is busy. And so she tells me, who's a nursing student, I need you to get in there and get them together, you know, get her on the monitor. I'll be back. That's not a nursing student's job. It's outside of my scope. I'm not supposed to be yeah. doing it, but I was like, let me do it. And so I'm trying to tell her, I don't speak her language. I don't speak their language. And I'm like, can we get in the bed? Like I'm patting the bed, like, let's get in the bed. And they were like waving their hands, like, no, no, no. And they're like laying out fabric on the floor. And I was just like, this is about to be dope. Okay. Like, all right. <laughs> I'm not the boss anyway. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. And I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm thinking this is fine. The lights are low. She's doing beautifully. And then she starts pushing and I'm clear that she is pushing. And so I open the door and I'm like, baby coming. And the whole team comes running in like, like I had yelled baby dying. And they're like, oh no. And the baby's already born by the time they come into the room. The birthing person is like so happy. The family members are all women and they're 
like making these sounds that are obviously joyous and they're saying things in their language and they're like clapping and they're just so happy. But the team proceeds to pick the birthing person up, pull the baby so that the placenta comes out of the birthing person. And so like they're separated, like it was like a physical, scary, weird separation thing that happened. And they basically threw her on the bed. The women are freaking out. They're hitting, they're, they're pulling, they're not understanding. Like, why did you do that? Why are you throwing her on the bed? The baby's over in the isolate. And so the, another family member is like pushing away, being like, what are you doing? And one of the doctors yells, get security in here. Get this, get this, get this under control. We're not, we're not in Africa. And I was like, what? And I was like, this is not okay. They've done nothing wrong. We don't have an interpreter. Like, this is not okay. Like y'all, what are you doing right now? And so I got kicked out of the room and I left that room shaking because what I was on the verge of witnessing was a very beautiful, uncomplicated, easy, easy, chill, clearly supported, beautiful birth, unmedicated, and was turned into a just traumatic nightmare for this person. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they ever got a translator for her. I was relieved and sent home. And I remember going home and being like, I'm going to be a midwife outside the hospital. I am going to figure this out. I'm going to find whoever it is. I'm going to make it happen. And literally two weeks later, I was introduced to a black unlicensed midwife who considered herself a political midwife. So she wasn't interested in becoming licensed. She wasn't interested in having letters after her name. She wanted no government involvement Mm -hmm. in how she helped families support giving birth outside the hospital. Um, She only supported black families. And because she was unlicensed, you could only meet her if someone that she knew personally introduced you to her. Like it wasn't, no one gave out her phone number because what she was doing was illegal. It's a, you know, it's a big deal. And, and so I, I was introduced to her. Someone was like, oh, you should meet my friend Rashad. She's trying to become a midwife. She's a, she's a birth worker. At the time they said doula. And I was just like, whatever, it's cool. I would say I help people at birth is what I used to say. And she was just kind of like, mm-hmm, that's cool, whatever. And then like went on about her life. And I was like, wait, no, but I want to study under you. I want to be a midwife. And so I had to court her. I had to be at all the places that she was at. So any drum circle, any farmer's market, any homeschool, unschool, collective, mind you, I'm 20 with no children. Like I'm just, I'm in all the places Mm -hmm. trying to get to where she is. And I ended up babysitting her children. I ended up being invited for tea a couple times. And then the next thing I knew was I was invited to her home and it was during a prenatal she was having with a client. And she was like, just, just listen, don't say anything. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. quiet. And You know, I grew up with a grandmother, a Southern black grandmother, midwife, who never taught any of us how to make any of the food that she makes. But we all knew that if we wanted to know, we just had to sit in the kitchen and be quiet and watch. And she was fine with that. She wasn't going to tell us, but if we could sit sit there and watch, Mm -hmm. she's Mm -hmm. fine with that. And that's how my apprenticeship was with this midwife. I was there and my whole entire reason for being there was to look, listen and learn. That was it. And it was fine. And I was excited. And our first birth that we went to, it was beautiful and powerful and incredible. And this black family, they weren't getting a birth certificate. They were off the grid. They were (laughs) self-reliant. 
Yeah, self-reliant. They had their own vegetable garden on the side of their house. They like had all these different connections within the community. So they did a lot of barter system. They bartered with her. So I got to see traditional midwifery with a black midwife and what it looks like to support the community in that way. And I was like, yep, this is it. And I was on her like a tick. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, whatever you are going to give me, I am going to receive. Like whatever you do, I'm here for it. I'm watching, I'm learning. And my, my graduation from her was this person that we had been seeing prenatally for care. She was having, I think it was her fourth baby. And, uh, I get to the birth because we had been called and I'm setting everything up and I'm just like, where's the midwife? And she's like doing her thing. And I was like, well, I should listen. So then when the midwife gets here, if she asks me like, well, how's the baby that I have an answer for her. So, you know, okay, let me listen. Is it okay if I listen? Listen, baby sounds great. And, uh, <laughs> she never came. That was graduation. Okay. She had no intention. She had no intentions of coming. And the uh, birthing person knew it. Okay, they and were in on it. She okay. was fine with it. Yeah. And and they were they were kind of in on it. Like <laughs> I think my midwife mentor had been like, I might make it, but Rashad will take good yeah. care of you yeah. or something like that. I was clueless. I thought the midwife was showing up. So after that birth, I was just like, Yep, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And I had my first home birth client. And you, were, and you at this point you were doing the unlicensed model, right? Okay. Still do, I'm still doing the unlicensed thing. Okay. Still doing the unlicensed thing because at that point, I had now been attending births for six mm-hmm. months, eight months, eight months. I had been attending births for eight months in the hospital, out of hospital, with her, with my own clients. And I still couldn't get an apprenticeship with any of the licensed midwives in my community, not even two hours mm-hmm. drive away. Couldn't get an apprenticeship. And they were all white. And so someone, I still to this day don't remember who, I can't remember who, but they were like, you need to hear about this school. It's a midwifery school in El Paso, Texas. I look into it, find out they have a scholarship that's specifically for black people. It was the black midwife scholarship. It was to encourage and increase the number of black midwives. Uh, I found out at the time, at that time, that particular time, that window, the school had a very radical staff. They had a radical clinical director, a radical academic director. And so all of these radical femmes, women were just like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. I got the scholarship. I moved to Texas. This was all less than that. This, this all happened before that home birth baby turned one, the first one that I went to, I was like, I'm gone. I'm out and graduated midwifery school pregnant. Okay. I was the, that's your first baby. I was the I, I that was my first baby. I graduated. I graduated midwifery school pregnant, and um, I, during that process, I just never felt like I was learning about the midwifery that my grandmother had shared with me about our family and our mm-hmm. lineage and our mm-hmm. history and what midwifery was for Black midwives. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hearing any of the things that I'd heard from my teacher that I had apprenticed under, and the midwives that were there at that particular moment in time were queer, they were radicalized, they were political, and they weren't just the quote unquote Christian midwives. And so, you know, we were learning about how to support queer people getting pregnant, inseminations, how to support people in, um, oh goodness, uh, what is the word I'm thinking of? 
menstrual extraction. It was like a thing in the early 2000s, late 90s. People were really into menstrual extraction. Just like all these different things that were just very radical. But if you look back in history, these were things that were happening during the 60s and the 70s with the like reclaiming of bodies. But anywho, learned all these things in midwifery school and just became more radicalized with regards to my blackness and my midwifery. And so I was always the midwife that was like, black families are going to come first. I'm always going to take black families before I take white families because white families have so many options. They have so many options. They can throw a rock and hit 50 white midwives. Mm -hmm. But right now in the United States, black midwives make up, I think we make up like 5%, 3%. Yeah. I think I actually, I might be wrong. I have the stat here. You have the stat. Uh, Okay. 87% of midwives are white. Um, that's a larger discrepancy than like with nurses, 70% of nurses are white. So um, black people yes. are, are just about stati- represented appropriately based on the population for nurses, but not for midwives. There's a huge skew. Yes. And that's probably counting nurse midwives in the hospital, which there are exponentially more than there are home births mm-hmm. midwives. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the, that's the little nuance yeah. thing. So I'm just like, you know, I came out the gate very much centering blackness, centering black families and making sure that they had access to out of hospital birth, that they had access to midwifery care. And, you know, one of the stipulations, well, not a stipulation, but one of the requests of my original preceptor, she was like, if you get licensed, please don't become one of those midwives that doesn't take care of black people anymore because now you're licensed. Like, don't don't forget about your community. Don't forget about where you come from. Mm -hmm. And so I have spent all of my 20 years committed to that. Um, I, I have had several home birth practices, Texas, Oakland, and Los Angeles. Uh, I opened Los Angeles's first black owned birth center in South LA, three blocks from my grandmother's house. My grandmother used to walk over and she used to help me it was great. She used to walk over and help me in the clinic sometimes and support the families and hold babies. And we had a vegetable garden there so that all the clients had access to fresh produce and really demonstrating for them, like how to care for themselves. And part of our care was going into the garden and working on the garden. And that was around for five years. And it was in 2020 during the pandemic that there was just a huge increase in people's desire for out of hospital birth due to COVID-19, obviously. And for me, I wasn't excited. I wasn't happy. I was actually very nervous because that corporation that I worked for before I became a midwife, um, I worked in environmental, I worked in an environmental health and safety department and also emergency disaster preparedness department. So when COVID happened, that part of my brain and that part of that existence of my life, it like came forward, like total recall. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about birth in emergencies, births in a pandemic, births in, you know, traumatic times Mm -hmm. and not like best case scenario where people are like, yes, I want a home birth. This is so amazing. These are people that are choosing it out of fear, choosing it out of just lack of knowing. Mm -hmm. Like the hospital's scary, the hospital's dangerous, the hospital has COVID, I'm taking a home birth. 
and took that time to really do a lot of educating. So people reached out to me. I would sometimes get 50 calls in a day. Please let me, please be my midwife. Please, this COVID, I'm so scared. And we would have a conversation. And I remember telling midwives in COVID, you know, or sharing with them that 50% of my work wasn't even attending births. It was educating people about what is involved with home birth, what, what it requires, what kind of mind state you have to be in, what kind of work you have to do, educating yourself and preparing mentally, physically, emotionally, and that it's a lifestyle Mm -hmm. that, you know, people that routinely go to the doctor for every single little thing that might be happening in their body out of fear, out of concern, and looking to the doctor to have the answers and to fix it and for the doctor to be all knowing, I would tell them, I would be like, if that's how you live your life, then home birth might not be a good option for you. Because home birth, this is about you making a decision, a choice, and hiring someone who's in alignment with that decision and choice and is going to provide you with the informed consent, your risks, and your benefits. And for you to then say, oh, okay, well, based upon this information, this is what I would like to do, and I'm going to be accountable for this decision. And a lot of the people in the pandemic were just like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. My midwife said the same <laughs> I don't, thing, I don't. Mm-hmm, that she got this huge yeah. influx of people that were interested. And then a lot of them, she's like, they, they mentally are not, are not ready. And she had to do nope. the same thing as you educate them. And some did get ready. And then she'd say, okay, you can become my client. And some, it was just kind of like, yes, this is not a match. You need to stay in the hospital. That part, that part. And so, you know, a lot of education and where I had been really, um, burnt out and, stressed out and felt like I had done a huge disservice to my own family, my children, when I ran the birth center, I also remembered, and it started sparking in me during the, during the pandemic, during COVID, the the height of COVID, I should say, it really put in me this little like glimmer, this little twinkle, like, Ooh, maybe you're going to need to do a birth center again. Like, because the other piece was, With home birth, you're driving to all of your clients and you're spending the majority of your time in your car getting to your clients. Even if you have an office and everyone's coming to you, you spend a lot of time in the car. And the nice thing about having had a birth center before was that everyone came to me. I just had to show up. I would bring my children sometimes, oftentimes, and everything would happen there other than like postpartum visits, which that's like one or two driving things in the month. So I was like, okay, maybe that might be something that I come back to, but still not interested right now in my life. I'm enjoying home birth. In between that COVID 2020 and closing the birth center in 2016, I went to South Africa for the sole purpose of learning more about my heritage as a South African, as a Zulu, and learn more about the midwifery traditions of South African midwives. And For me, that was my full circle moment of being a Black person in midwifery and really wanting to feel like I had reclaimed or gotten back some of what was taken when my ancestors were brought to this country. Because we know Black people, we were moved of our culture, our language, our music, our dances, our spiritual practices, everything when we were brought here. And midwifery was allowed but only to a certain extent, like black African midwives that, you know, were forced to care for the babies and the families of those that own them 
they weren't allowed to practice their spiritual practices mm-hmm. of midwifery, just the catching of the baby and keeping people from, you know, dying too much bleeding mm-hmm. or breastfeeding yeah. issues or things like that, but none of the other parts. And so as midwifery over time became a career, became a, um, a way for people to make a, a living for themselves white nurses and doctors came into those communities and were like, ah, ta, 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 ta. we're having babies in the hospital now. You don't need to go to that old black midwife anymore. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. And certain places, certain places like, like Florida actually tried to phase out those midwives and be like, okay, so we're not renewing your license and you don't get to do that anymore. And they had to go to court and fight and be like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not done. And what are you talking about? That is the history of many black midwives is the, the erasure and the like, okay, we don't do that anymore. Now you come to the hospital where we take care of you and we tell you what to do. Well, that was also the beginnings of the black maternal health crisis. When we left our homes to have our babies in these white institutions, that was the beginning of the black maternal health crisis. And so for me, the getting back to South Africa was me getting back to the knowledge and the wisdom from before we were forced to relinquish all of the knowledge that we had as African midwives, as South African midwives, as Zulu midwives that were spiritual, that were um, revered and supported and protected within the community and whose skill set was passed down. And it was passed down in a way where you were honored and you understood the importance of your position, your responsibilities in the community Going back to South Africa, I was able to reclaim a lot of that. And so it has carried me through, you know, the last, you know, five, five years, six years, seven years of my midwifery career in a way that wasn't there prior to going. And so during the pandemic, there were families where I was more of just a spiritual midwife for them. Like Mm -hmm. they just needed someone that they could talk to about the things that were inherently black, the things that were inherently nuanced about being a black person in this country that was more spiritual, that was more cultural and had nothing to do with pregnancy or birthing. And it was because they had to have a hospital birth or they were not a good candidate for birthing out of the hospital, but they still wanted access to that midwifery knowledge and care. And so people would hire me just to support them prenatally. Mm -hmm in our prenatal visits and, and, and talking about, you know, their spiritual practices and the importance of acknowledging the baby or not acknowledging the baby or naming the baby or not naming the baby, all the different nuances of, of all these different people of the African diaspora and how they, how they carry their babies and give birth. And can you serve as someone's kind of spiritual guide, no matter what their religious, like spiritual background is, is there a requirement there? How do you serve different faith backgrounds or how does it look different or not look different? That's a great question. So I am registered and um, acknowledged in South Africa as a Sangoma, which is a traditional healer. Um, A Sangoma can be someone who practices um, divination. It could be someone who reads the bones. It could be someone who can understand and tell you about your dreams. Sangomas in South Africa are part of the fabric of the culture. So like your news anchor person could be a Sangoma, your mailman could be a Sangoma. It's just someone that's recognized in the community that has spiritual practice that is intertwined with um, health practices 
and your Sangoma can uh, write you a letter off of work and say you're having a very difficult time emotionally and that you're working with your ancestors to become stronger in your body and then you can't get back to work yet. Like, it's really quite amazing and beautiful the way that spirituality and health care and spiritual practices are all intertwined in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And so you have Sangomas that are Christian. Mm -hmm. You have Sangomas that practice African, traditional African spirituality, but also are like, I love Jesus. So very similar to black people in America where they'll say, you know, I'm this religion or I'm this faith practice, but there are certain things that we do as black people that are inherently like little nuances, little bits from uh, African spirituality or voodoo or hoodoo or voodoo or whatever. Like we have little things like the salt over the shoulder or right, like right. people that don't name the baby until after the baby's born. Like all of these little things are the, the, the tiny bits and pieces we've been able to hold on to right. throughout slavery into current times. And so I show up for families of any faith, I show up for families of that are like, I don't have any faith practices. I'm, I don't believe in anything. I don't mm -hmm. believe in a higher power. Like I show up for everyone. And the joy of being a midwife is that that's a part of it. It's individualized care, giving each person care that is specific to them, specific to how they move and live and breathe because they're hopefully going to birth in the same way. Mm -hmm. People often give birth how they live. And so midwives, we spend an average of an hour in every appointment with our clients, some spend less, but we spend more than 10 minutes, yeah. more than five yes. minutes, which is what most people get with an OB. And during that time, you know, you'll spend more time with a midwife in your first appointment than you will with your OB for your entire pregnancy. Mm -hmm. yeah. So by the time you've had even, let's say you've had 10 appointments with your midwife and every appointment was an hour long, you've spent 10 hours together. Hopefully, they know your children's names. They know your partner's names. They know your parents' names. If you have dogs or cats, they know right. their names. Like we, we know you very, very well. And so we know your spiritual practices. If you've shared them with us, we know, you know, your, your diet and how you care for yourself. And so the way that we show up is based upon that. I'm not going to tell a vegan atheist, okay, so, you know, are you meditating? Are you eating enough beef? Like, no, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah. No. yeah. Um, and so it's all about showing up for people where they're at and who they are and honoring that. But when they hire me, they know that they're hiring someone who has 20 years experience that is deeply connected to African ancestry and African spirituality that is extraordinarily, I say extraordinarily, um, holistic in thinking about how to care for people. But I have the knowledge and the experience of the hospital, which means when we have to go, I also know your options with regards to the pharmaceuticals and the medicine that could be at your disposal, at your reach, if yeah. you want it in the hospital. We, as Black midwives, we have to hold all of those things because the majority of traumas and hardships that birthing people, Black birthing people face in this country, it's solely due to racism. And it's being told things that are not true. So someone in labor at the hospital being told, well, we just need to do a C-section because you've been, you've been in labor too long. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a true statement. That's not a fact. Is that the law? It's not the law. Is it the hospital's policy? It can be, but that doesn't mean it's the law, which means if you say no, you're not breaking the law. You're just not in agreement with the hospital's policy. Mm -hmm. But most people in labor are not trying to have those kind of like super detailed, well right. thought out right. arguments right. with people. 
And so as their support people or their birth worker or their midwife, if we have to end up in that space as black midwives, we have to know the laws. We have to know the policies. We have to know the difference between policies and laws. We have to know, you know, what people's rights are. They're, they call it the patient rights, patient, patient's rights. We have to know those things in order to even protect our families when we have to go to the hospital. So they're choosing us because they want to birth outside the hospital, because they want to birth with someone who looks like them, because they want to birth with someone who is going to hear them and accept them and support them however it is that they're showing up. But if we should have to go to the hospital, they also need someone who knows how to keep them safe, who's going to be there with them, who's going to not so much protect them, but make sure that they're aware of all of their options while they're there. A lot of people don't know if you get to the hospital and you're facing some type of hostility or just feeling very uncomfortable by the staff, you can ask for other staff members Mm -hmm. and people are, they're too intimidated because they feel like, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to make them mad. And it is, it's scary because you're depending on these people to take care of you. But at the same time, it's like, but you should also be able to speak up and say, you know, Hey, I, I don't think we're a good fit. Can I get another nurse, please? I have no problem using my big old huge mouth. When I call the hospital to let them know that we're coming, I'm like, hey, so who's the doctor? Thanks. Great. So much. This is my name. This is who I am. This is why we're coming in. Who's the nurse? Okay, great. Fantastic. Oh, and by the way, we would love it if we could have all black nurses. And if there's any black doctors available, we would love that too. And they're like this. Oh, 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 uh, oh, oh, okay. Like Mm -hmm. they don't know what to do with it because they're not expecting people to say that. And then when we get there, usually rolling in all black folks, a whole entire black birth team with a black birthing parent and all this other stuff, they get it. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't like it, even if they're uncomfortable by it, they get Mm it. And I would say nine times out of 10, not 10 out of 10, because, you know, that would be perfect and that's not real. But nine times out of 10, the black nurses are excited that we asked for them. And so they're in there and they're rooting for this family. They're wanting them to have a good birth outcome. Maybe we don't get the black doctor, but everyone on the unit knows, oh, that's the black birth room. That's the room where all the people are black and they said they want black staff. And, you know, clients got treated better. Clients felt safer. They felt heard. And so I have to hold all of those different spaces and roles for families when they hire me, even if we're planning on birthing outside the hospital. I ended up in Richmond, Virginia in 2022. Because uh, some birth workers had reached out to me. My spouse was having a, um, an art exhibition at the big museum in town in Richmond, Virginia. And folks knew that we were together and that I would probably be there and be coming around, that I would be in town. And we got together on a phone call on a Zoom. And it was probably about eight Black birth workers. And they were just like, we don't have a Black midwife. We don't have a birth center with Black midwives. Like, we need you. Can you come? When can you come? Like, we, we'll, we'll pay Cali prices. Like, we don't care. Just please pull up. And I was just like, that's so flattering. That's so sweet. You know, I don't know about all that. That's a big jump, you know, California right. to Richmond, Virginia. But over the time spent here with my partner, with my spouse, and their exhibition, and we were just like, you know what? Why not Richmond? And that's where my African spirituality came into place my actual, my African spiritual practices, I should say, came into play where I just kind of sat back and was like, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this where I'm supposed to go? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? 
and every door was opening that it was yes, a yes, a yes. Like the doors were opening. And so, um, I was the, I was gifted with angel donors that helped begin the funding process to get the birth cottage open here in um, Virginia. I live in Richmond and the birth cottage is just 20 minutes outside of town in a place called Midlothian. Um, And that was a whole other process trying to get that to happen. Um, You know, it's the South Mm -hmm. and I was, I was made very aware very quickly that this is still the South and that I was an outsider and that I was different. I'm loud. I'm tattooed. Um, I have, you know, at the time a shaved head, purple yeah, hair. Like, get this Cali girl out of here. <laughs> yeah. Get this Cali girl out of here. Like, what do we just, what do we, what do we ask for? <laughs> and, you know, and she's pro black. She's very black. And it's like, yep. Super black. Um, and, um, it was, it, it was, I quickly figured out why there weren't any visible black midwives supporting the home birth community. There was one, there is one. And, uh, she by choice stays kind of off the grid and I understand why, but she's it for, you know, a two hour drive in every direction. She's it. And that's if she's around, that's if she's available. And, um, you know, I saw the reasons why that there weren't black midwives here was purely racism the reason why there weren't birth centers here with black midwives is just racism. There were so many barriers to me finally getting a space and the city, like every time I would make steps forward, they would have some more reasons why I needed to get more things together in order to be able to open it up. Was a lot of regulations or you couldn't get a loan or what, what was it? No, 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 no. So I had my angel funders. I had the means. I had the fi- the financing. I was good there. But the city kept coming up with all of these different, oh, well, you need this permit. You need this permit. Uh, and when permits. I first started, no. yes, yes, permits. But this is the thing. When I started the process, the building I had was completely zoned appropriate. Everything was good to just open. But it was when I went down there to file to get everything done that all of a sudden there were all these barriers and all this red tape. And now it was like, oh, now you need to do this. And now you do need to do this. No lie. I was told that I had to put in um, a very specific type of parking lot in order for me to get my permit to open as a birth cottage, birth center. Now, mind you, they were holding this little piece of paper over me for months and like, just making me pay all this money for these. Oh, well, actually you need this permit now. Oh, actually it was just, it was obvious they were trying to keep me from opening up the space. And so finally, um, I had the people who I paid a lot of money to put in a very expensive parking lot only for the city to vote two days later that, Oh yeah, you don't need an X amount of type of parking to have a business in the city. Mm. Yeah. And the people and the people in the office knew that they didn't tell me, oh, well, just wait a couple of days. We should have an answer for you. They were just like, well, you have to have this before we can give you the permit. The people who put in the parking parking for the, the, the birth center, they they came to me and they were just like, we're really sorry. Like, this is super messed up. The city is clearly trying to keep you from opening this space. You should try the next county over. And it was literally like spirit and ancestors working again, because from the time those guys told me that to me being in the space that is now the birth cottage open 
we just had our first home, our first birth in there this week. Oh, congrats. Thank you. It was beautiful. I was so happy for them. They're so happy. I'm going to see them after our talk today. But the family, I mean, uh, the time from me walking away from the building in Richmond to opening my doors at the new space was three months. Wow. That's, that's fast. Yeah. The, the new, I went to the new County and the person that gave me my, my business license, they actually clapped and were like, welcome to our County. We're so excited to have you. We can't wait for you to open your birth center. Like it was just a completely different experience. Doors wide open. Everything was happening. My landlord was amazing. It just, everything worked out and everything went as it should. And I was just like, okay, so this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, after the doors open, it was just family after family after family coming and interviewing and checking out the space and wanting to tour and wanting to interview and birth workers coming from all parts of Virginia that were like, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you did it. We can't believe you did it. How did you do it? And I was just like, you know, the Cali girl who, you know, by way of South Africa, you're just not going to stop me. If this is what I'm supposed to be doing, this is what I'm going to do. Just like how I was studying to be a midwife within six months of going to a home birth. Like it was the same thing with this. Like I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to open this space. And there's a lot of conversation in birth world and birth work right now about the decolonization of birthing and the reclaiming of traditions of black midwives and black birth workers and indigenous midwives and indigenous birth workers. And, you know, I feel like I'm in that place now that I can hold that. And so the space is called a birth cottage and not a birth center because I wanted to distance myself from what people think of when they think of a birth center. I wanted them to be like, Oh, well, what's, what's the difference? I wanted them to get out of their, their ideas and their mental framework of like what a birth center is by not using the term birth center. I wanted to use birth cottage because I wanted to honor the rendezvous in South Africa where all the spiritual things happen, all the spiritual practices, the ceremonies happen, but it's also where the babies are born and it's where the midwives have the births with the families. And so I wanted to make sure that people came in to the space already with their head, like in a different place, like, okay, she said it's not a birth center. Well, then what is it? Like, okay, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm intrigued. And then when they come in, there's no waiting room. There's no exam room. There's no uh, classroom. What we have is when you walk in, there's an apothecary with all the herbs that anyone might need mm. or want in pregnancy and trying to get pregnant and trying to stay pregnant for our emergencies, for postpartum, for babies. Uh, we have our homeopathics there. We have tinctures. Then we have a healing room and the healing room is where things happen that you would want to have behind closed doors, privacy. So like if you wanted to get a pelvic exam or a chest exam, a breast exam, or you wanted to, you know, work on breastfeeding and you wanted to do it in private away from everyone else, that's what that space is called. And there's a table in there, like an old school exam table, a vintage exam table from a midwife. Um, And then there's a family room and the family room in most black families, the family room is where everything fun happens. It's where all the big discussions happen. It's where the big decisions get made. And so the family room is where most of my clients have their appointments. So there's a couch, there's a little play area on the floor with books, all of the furniture, all of the books, all of the artwork, the diapers, the wipes, everything is from black owned businesses, black 
makers, black creators. And that was intentional because I wanted black folks to walk into the space and see themselves everywhere, every single nook, cranny, wall, everywhere they see their blackness. And it's affirming. And I watch people come into the space and I watch their shoulders fall. I watch their faces relax. I am able to have conversations with families, with pregnant folks, where they're willing to be far more transparent than if they were in their doctor's appointment, just because they're so comfortable, because they're in a space that is clearly for them, that's supportive of them, that affirms them. They have a provider that looks like them, who's affirming them and is wanting to know everything that they want to share, and then trying to figure out how do we incorporate this into your pregnancy, into your birthing. The birth workers that work with me, they're all um, what people will call full spectrum doulas, because I don't use that word and because I'm really, in effect, trying to create a space that actually is an actual living decolonized space to the, as much as possible. There's nothing, anything medical or white about the birth cottage. And so even the people that come in and support, they identify as traditional birth workers. So they support people before they get pregnant, while they're pregnant and postpartum, they are there. They can support with um, emergencies in the birth. They can provide physical support, emotional support, spiritual support. They already do these things on their own, but now they do it in the birth cottage with families. And it's included in the fee for families because that's one less thing for them to have to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I put the GoFundMe out for the birth cottage, it was because I wanted to try and raise enough money that not only would the first year of you know the rent and utilities and stuff be covered so I didn't have to think about it, but I also wanted for families not to have to pay for their birth kit, which is the supplies that you need when you give birth. In a hospital setting, it's the things they throw away, the disposable items or the things that you take home. I didn't want people to have to pay for that. Like midwifery is an out-of-pocket expense. It's already difficult for many, especially when you know midwives, we expect the whole payment before the baby's born so that we can continue to provide care for you and not be worried about being paid after the baby's born when most people are not working after the baby's born. So yeah. there isn't that income to keep paying a midwife. So you know, trying to minimize as many barriers as possible. Okay. You don't have to hire support. It's included in your care. You don't have to buy a birth kit. It's included in your care. Like anything that we could include, that's what the GoFundMe was for. And it has really already helped so many families that push together all their pennies to pay for this because they believe in it and they want it for themselves, but also not putting any extra on them. There's no like extenuating hardship added to this already like difficulty of paying for your health care. Um, yeah, I feel like I've just been talking nonstop. I'm so no, sorry, but I was like, like, let me try and answer all of your questions. Oh, this is great. I feel like this is one of the <laughs> podcast episodes that's flown by the fastest and like almost like we need to do a part two because there's so many more questions <laughs> I could ask you. Like there's so much, there's so many little good nuggets that you, that you left us with here today. And I recently read a book called um, Folks Do Get Born. Have you read that one or heard of that one? Yes. Yes, about, I have. It. Yes. How the permit system like crushed black midwives. And I love hearing about midwives that are off the grid and, and doing things that way, the way that people can approach mm-hmm. certifications differently and all that stuff. So I would love to get into some more of that type of stuff and more in a part two. But for now, you've got babies to take care of. So let's hit you with 
the, um, the speed round, the 10 questions, and then we'll leave you, then you can have your final thoughts, promote or plug anything. And yes. We'll sign off. So are you ready for, for your 10 questions? I am so ready. Okay. Number one, what is the best part of being black? Uh, the best part of being black, it's all lit. It's all lit, especially <laughs> when we are undisturbed and able to just be ourselves. It's, it's bomb. We've got, we've got our language, we've got our food, we've got our music, we've got our history. It's, it's all good. All of it. <laughs> all of it. Are you afraid of ghosts? No, because I think of ghosts and I immediately reframe it and think of spirits. And I think of my father, I think of my great grandmother, I think of my aunt Althea and all of these people support me and continue to be there for me. So I'm not afraid of ghosts per se. And uh, yeah, that's that answer. Okay. Are golfers athletes? Yes. So my spouse is a golfer. Their father is a golfer. And I went one time and that is a lot of walking. I was exhausted after. <laughs> Should election day be made a national holiday? I think that election day should be, if a national holiday means that everyone gets it off so that if they want to participate, they can without barrier, then they should. Yes. What's a movie that you like that everybody else hated? Oh, this is going to sound strange, but I love the movie Babette's Feast. It is a story of a woman who goes to a very um, quiet provincial town where it's very restrictive and people don't smile. They're not allowed to express emotions. They're not allowed to enjoy life. And she makes them this incredible meal. And they're like, obviously having a response to this incredible meal, but they're trying to like keep it together. <laughs> and she ends up like unlocking and freeing this group of people with this amazing food she makes for them. And then it comes out later that she was like, a queen's chef or something oh. and I love it and it's old and it's independent and it's not in English and I try to show it to people and I'm so excited about it and they're just like yeah nah girl <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good one okay we'll definitely link to that movie so people can check it out uh, <laughs> okay black or african-american black should churches including mosques synagogues etc remain tax-exempt Every no one should have to pay taxes. Like, Preach, girl. <laughs> like, how about no one? <laughs> MLK or Malcolm X? Uh, Malcolm. What is with your the X? What is your spiciest take? My spiciest doesn't take? have to be related to birth work, but it can be like any on any topic. What's your most controversial opinion? Hmm. Oh, this is going to make people mad. My most controversial opinion is that not everyone is supposed to be a midwife. There you go. And your final question, are dress codes a good thing? As someone who is firmly committed to decolonizing birth and has nothing that looks like the hospital in my birth cottage and encourages birth workers to wear comfy clothes, I am not about dress code. I'm about come as you are, come comfy. Or come, you know, full on drag. I don't care. It's fine. But yeah, no, no dress codes. Folks, you can't, you won't be able to see her. But I mean, she's got a funky style. We've got great <laughs> jewelry, bright purple shirt, awesome hair. Rashad is living, living exactly what she just said. 
Um, I'm feeling kind of like yeah. I'm just wearing a tie dye shirt right now, and I look kind of lame compared to her. So, oh no, that's my favorite. I love tie dye. <laughs> <laughs> those are your top. Those are your ten speed round questions. Thank you so much for coming on. What are your final thoughts? Things you want to plug? Ideas you want to put out there? Anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, support black businesses in any way that you can, even if it's small, even if it's just like a pen or a poster. Uh, support black midwives. We are uh, a small but mighty group. Uh, Gather Ground in Midwifery is a birth cottage and midwifery practice in Midlothian, Virginia. It is the only Black-owned birth center, birth cottage in the state. And we are firmly committed to the decolonization of reproductive health care and midwifery. We are firmly committed to the maintaining and continuance of traditional African and Black midwifery. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll have the links to all the things in the show description so folks can check you out. And if they're in the area, maybe maybe you'll even get a client or two. Again, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for all you do to change the narrative and change the lens by which people, especially Black people, approach birth. Thank you for having me. The number you have dialed. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Free Black Thought Podcast.